It is such an honor and privilege to get to speak at the ACR. That just blew my mind that I was asked to speak. And then um, also just such a privilege to speak on this particular topic because it is, it's a huge topic. And it's not an easy topic, but it is a topic that God covers all over the scriptures. Um, we're going to just get started with a prayer, and then we'll jump into things and see how it goes. Um, Father, I just thank you so much for everything you have been teaching us uh, this weekend. Um, God, thank you for this time right now that we have. You have uh, worked in our hearts. Your spirit has been moving in our lives and um, stirring things in our hearts. And I know even to choose a class like the Freedom of Forgiveness, um, there is so much depth that can come from that, uh, from that choice. And I know that we come with hurts and we come with um, questions and uh, God, but we all love you so much. And Father, we want to grow to be more like you. We want to learn from your word how it is to live uh, in the freedom that comes from forgiveness. And uh, just thank you so much. I pray that your spirit speaks through me and uh, blocks anything that would be confusing or not helpful and ensure that I say the things that will be helpful and encouraging and um, help us all to leave God lighter after this class and encouraged and just so amazed at Jesus and what he's given us through the cross. And we love you in his name. Amen. Um, so I'm going to start, I have some pictures of some, I, it's so fun to see friends in the audience, but not everybody do I know. And uh, so my name's Betsy Santos, and I've been a Christian, actually got baptized the Sunday night of the very first ACR conference, 21 years ago, if you remember when Princess Diana died. So that very next day I got baptized. That seems to be a time, time stamp in a lot of people's minds. Um, so I've been a Christian since 97. I became a Christian as a single and uh, had been in the ministry and then came out of the ministry. And now my husband and I are back into the ministry. And so that story in and of itself, forgiveness is pervasive through our lives and all the different adventures and hardships and challenges along the way. But, um, you know, when you're asked to speak at a conference on a subject, sometimes you feel like, uh oh, wait, they think I'm an expert. And I was like, I am not an expert. So I'm just, disclosure, full disclosure, I have not arrived in forgiveness. I have not arrived in the freedom of forgiveness. I have not arrived. But uh, God is definitely an expert on forgiveness. And so we are going to look at lots of scriptures, bring out your notebook. It's definitely also going to be on audio, so you can always go back. And if you want my notes, just email me, and I am happy to send you my slides, my notebooks, notes, whatever. Um... But so this is my beautiful family. My, um, this was Wednesday. We came early for a staff portion, then came early for a really fun family day because, you know, come to the beach. That's pretty awesome. So we have four kids, and our oldest is a 15-year-old. She is a disciple. And then we have a 12-year-old who's now in the teen ministry, an 11-year-old daughter, and an 8-year-old boy. So we are uh, full of life in our house. It's so much fun. Um, this was just a really fun picture. And uh, I mean, we have, so go on Facebook. I mean, they're just awesome photos that we ended up getting taken. And it was so funny because I look at this and I was like, don't you go on Facebook and see people's lives and be like, wow, it's like so amazing. They are so happy and life is so good. And uh, that moment was really good, really, really good. And then about an hour later, we went to check into our VRBO, 
which is sort of like an Airbnb, and uh, there was no furniture. And uh, the place was a disaster. And so we call. I mean, we've already paid months ago. I actually did something early, and back in May, read, made, made these reservations. And uh, I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do to help. And I'm just, I'm fast forwarding the many, many hours on the phone that I spent on hold, speaking to somebody in India somewhere to trans, you know, transfer me to somewhere else, to somewhere else, to somewhere else. And it was hours, this whole evening after this, and then the whole next morning. And I was enraged. Like I called the woman a buffoon. I was, so, I wanted to say so much more, but I was like, I cannot do this. And I was, and then I got really mad at God, actually. I felt like, oh, like, you know, just because I'm doing a lesson on forgiveness, now I've got to, like, deal with my own heart. I don't just get to go to a conference and, no, like, I am just enraged, right? And uh, I was really mad. I mean, I was so mad. My head was, like, exploding. And uh, so Gabe, thankfully, we went out on the beach and we prayed. The irony is somebody thought that was, like, a really sweet moment. I was like bawling, ugly tears. And if you know me, I'm not a big crier, but when I'm mad, I just, I cry. That's where it all comes out. And I am weeping, sobbing. I don't understand. I mean, and I even am thinking, you live in the first world. This is no big deal. Like God is going to take care of you. It's just money. And I knew that intellectually, but I just felt so taken advantage of. I'm like, this is a fraud. This is America. This is wrong. Like, I'm just mad. And, uh, yeah. So we prayed, and then, you know, all these disciples are like, you can stay with us, it's going to be fine, and I'm like, all right, God, you, you do take care of us, I do know that that's true, and it's only money, and then somebody told me to call my bank, and I was like, oh, I guess you can do that and report the fraud, which I did, but I'm like, totally okay now, after a lot of enragement and near, near really bad moments, and then an hour later, randomly, I get a phone call, Mrs. Santos, I said, yes, well, we have a room for you in the oceanfront in the Hyatt house. And uh, we hear you have this many kids because we're also taking our lot plus three more teens with us. So we needed a big room. And she's a, and they're like, we're going to totally pay for it. Two adjoining suites in the Hyatt house, which is like fancy. And like they'll make your own omelet for you in the morning kind of fancy. And they totally paid for it. This is the VRBO. And I did not ask a question. I did not say why. And why did you put me through what I just, I just thought, okay, God, I accept this. I am going to be so grateful <laughs> and so happy. And I immediately got off the phone, called the, you know, the, the Hilton, Hyatt, whatever. I was like, do you, do you have a reservation in our name? I'm like, in any old way. So we got this amazing hotel room and I felt so grateful. And, but the irony of all of this was I was like, is this not the topic of forgiveness? You know, sometimes we go through these immensely challenging you know, abuses or horribly tragic things happen to us. But most of the time, our wrestle with forgiveness is things like, like this. These little foxes of entitlement, of somebody did me wrong, somebody said me wrong. I mean, all of that, right? And I thought, okay, God, if that's why I went through this, just so we are all in the same place, I am not an expert <laughs> at all, um, then amen. But God is definitely the expert there's lots of scriptures and forgiveness. You know, to forgive or not to forgive is never the question. Do I need to forgive? Do I not need to forgive? That's never the question. God actually offers us no option apart from forgiveness. 
But I know that's why you came. I thought I've been praying for you guys and praying for this class. I thought if I came to a class on freedom of forgiveness, there's things in my heart that I'm looking for hope and looking to be set free. And that's incredible because you're already coming with, I want to grow. I don't want to stay in this place. Or I know women in my life or people in my life, and I want to help them to have that freedom. And that's, that's an incredible thing. But, um, you know, the thing about forgiveness is it puts God at center stage and it keeps God as the hero over and over and over again. Forgiveness allows us to move forward and it can never be attained by checking off some items in a progressive order. And I love my to-do lists. I'm like, just tell me what I need to do and I will do those things. But forgiveness isn't like that. It's a simple thing, but it's not easy, and it can't just be checked off. It really is attained by a life that imitates the heart of Jesus. There's no way around that. And God doesn't want us just to learn to forgive. Maybe there's a situation in your life that's really hard right now, but he doesn't want you to just forgive that one situation. He wants us to become forgiving people. That when people think of you, they're like, you're a forgiving person. You're a free person. Now, this is um, just a little bit. Of, I'm going to go through this really quickly just to tell you. So there's different, three different Greek words. I'm not going to pronounce them. You can read them. Ask my first. But these are the things that forgiveness, when they're used in the scriptures, what it actually means. It means to send away, to leave behind, to let go of, or to release. Other uses, it's liberty, to release from bondage or imprisonment. That's actually when Acts 2, when it says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins that you're let out of prison at your baptism. Then the, the last one, to bestow a favor unconditionally or show kindness or benevolence, to cancel a debt owed. You know, sometimes we hear forgiveness and we, you know, we have these ideas, and I think that's such a powerful way of, of um, looking at it. But if you're a disciple of Jesus, you have been forgiven. You have been totally set free, totally let out of prison, to never have to go into prison again, ever, which is amazing. God has sent away your sins, released you, your debts have been canceled, you've been released from bondage, and you've been made a co-heir with Jesus. You have been made completely free. Nobody leaves jail and thinks, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to go back in there. They're like, I'm out of here, right? And if you're a disciple of Jesus, God has also called you to let go of and release the sins of others, to cancel their debts, to take them out of the doghouse, to take them out of that prison cell and live a life united with the purpose to bring God glory and to really let people free. And the freedom of forgiveness, the things that we need to do is we need to first live forgiven. Live knowing you, if you are a disciple, you are forgiven. There's nothing you can do about it anymore, by the way. <laughs> He's already given you this amazing gift of forgiveness. And then we also need to live a life forgiving. So those are the two points, live forgiven and live forgiving. And that's how we're going to have this freedom that we all, all want. But to, the forgiven life is the life that's been set free. So how does... Pardon me, I have to grab my Bible. How does, how does it feel to feel forgiven? What are some words that you could, you guys can raise your hands. When you're forgiven, how do you feel? I mean, when you're, um, when you're free, what does freedom feel like? Gratitude. 
Gratitude. You're grateful. Yeah. Anybody else? Yes. Um, not being held by chains. Yeah, not being held by chains. Exactly. You're just you're set like a a, a slave, set free, right? Yes. It's a bondage. A bondage lifted. Absolutely. Yeah. Light. Yes. 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 Unaccused. That's a great way of looking at it. Yeah. I think we're so many words, light, unencumbered, you know, uh, hopeful, not held back, no reservations. These things I feel like that's a life of being free, right? You look at children and they just run free. There's nothing holding them back. That's how God wants us to live our lives. He wants us to live completely freed. Completely forgiven, believing it in our guts, knowing it so deep inside. We're going to look at, um, in John 7, a story. There are so many stories in the Bible of forgiveness. And uh, I think it's in there because it's something we'll always have to deal with. We're never going to hit a point in our lives that we're like, oh, I don't need to remember that I've been forgiven. Or I don't need to forgive anyone, Right? that we're always going to be handling it, even on your little family vacation. Who knew that that was going to happen? But uh, John 7, 45. Hold on. That's very humbling. (laughs) Anyway, here we are. John 7, 45. Okay. Then the temple police came to the chief priests and Pharisees who asked them, Why haven't you brought him? And the police answered, No man ever spoke like this. They're speaking of Jesus. Then the Pharisees responded to them, Are you fooled too? Have any of the rulers or Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd, which doesn't know the law, is cursed. Nicodemus, the one who came from him previously, being one of them, said to them, Well, our law doesn't judge a man before it hears from him and knows what he's doing, doesn't it? Oh, you aren't from Galilee too, are you? They replied, Investigate. And you'll see that no prophet arises from Galilee. So each of them went to his house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he went to the temple complex again, and all the people were coming to him. He sat down and began to teach them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in front of the center. Teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They asked this to trap him in order to see that they might have evidence to accuse him. Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. And when they persisted in questioning him, he stood up and said, the one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he stooped down again and continued writing on the ground. And when they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. Only he was left with the woman in the center. And when Jesus stood up, he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. Other versions, it says, go, be freed. You know, Jesus, this scene, he's teaching the people, and this woman, imagine she's caught in the act. So she may have been pulled out without clothes on. Maybe she's got a negligee. She's pulled in front of all these people, and she is humiliated in front of all these people, exposed, vulnerable, raw, like, here I am, defenseless, right? And facing a guaranteed death. 
there's scriptures, you can write this down, but I'm not going to read the whole thing, that she would have known you will be stoned if this is what you do. There's no way out. She was caught, completely exposed, knew what was going to happen. You know, even in our day, we might consider that a really bad sin, committing adultery, correct? But what did she earn for her actions and decisions? She earned death. It was sure. It was certain. But what did Jesus do? It says that he bent down, started to write on the ground with his finger. He did this incredible thing for her. He took the focus off the person, off of her, and he put the focus on himself. And then he said, if any of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw the stone. Well, nobody. These are religious people. They knew the temple sacrifices. They knew, they admitted, they have sin. That's why they would sacrifice in the temple. Imagine the people who caught her in the act, how, how mad they would have been, aghast at what they saw. But Jesus' words left them completely dumbfounded. What could they do? The first who has no sin? Be the first to cast the stone. You know, Jesus is saying the things that we know in Romans 3.23, all sin and fall short of the glory of God. He knew that. He knew nobody could throw that stone. But then what's incredible is the one person who was without sin, the one completely entitled to throw a stone at her and kill her, instead of doing that, completely sets her free. And I'm like, that's amazing to me. How do you think she felt given this brand new life? How do you guys think she felt? Happy, relieved, yeah. Do you think she was like, I'm sure startled, like what in the world just happened? But she would have felt just free. Here she is facing this sudden death, inevitable death, because of the choices she's made. She is fully aware of her choices. It's all exposed. Was it not like that for us when we studied the Bible? And the women in your life sat down and studied the sin study. And it was not like a scripture on sin. It was lists and lists and lists. And then there's more lists, but we don't even have time to go through all the lists. That's how much and how specific God is with all of our sin. We are so exposed, just like this woman. Completely naked, just like this woman. Completely ashamed just like this woman, but completely set free because of what Jesus did. The one who was perfect brought the attention to himself and instead set her free. Think about her for the rest of her life. Anytime she'd hear the name Jesus, man, how she'd feel. Well, I don't even understand how that happened. I mean, I really blew it. But that man, Jesus, the love she would have, the gratitude somebody said she'd have in her heart for him. And then when she'd see a Pharisee or a teacher of the law, I am so very sure Satan would try to get in there and be like, be afraid, be afraid, be afraid. But she knew, Jesus has my back. The one who is perfect has completely set me free. What did she do to deserve this forgiveness? Did she jump through hoops? Did she apologize the right way? Did she... What did she do? No, Jesus just simply willingly forgave her and opened the path for new life for her. And every story in the Bible shows this very clear line between the life before forgiven and the life after forgiven. And if you're a disciple, you live in that life after forgiven. That old part is totally gone. 
it's like vanished into thin air. It's not even like, oh, no, 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 did he know about that? Da, da, da. No, it's gone, which is so amazing. There's um, umpteen passages I could have pulled up. These are just a few I'll read. It says, God does not count our sins against us. This is written to disciples. By the way, in this church was a big hot mess, the Corinthian church. Psalm 103, he's removed our sins as far as, as the east is from the west. You know, we know that our sin deserves death in Romans 6.23. But Jesus, in Hebrews 10, do I have that one written up there? Hebrews 10.14, by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. I couldn't even think of a good example. So this is my best one I could come up with. It's like you were given 100% on the final exam that you've procrastinated and barely studied for in a class you were doomed to fail. I don't know. I couldn't even think of anything better. I mean, if you're a teen, you probably get that a lot more. You're doomed to fail. All sin. All fall short of the glory of God. But you're sort of starting to try to do something, and God's like, don't even worry. I'm giving you 100%. You have been made perfect forever. That should produce freedom in our hearts. Just that, like, unencumbered, light, grateful, happy, happy, happy lives. Sometimes it's, we're not in touch with, you know, after you've been a Christian for a while, I think even just to write down, when is the last time you've done a sin study for yourself? Just for yourself. Writing down your own sins and seeing your own incredible need being this woman caught in adultery to be set free. Sometimes we don't want to go there, but honestly, that honest truth of who we are and then looking at Jesus, that's how we are no longer condemned. That's what makes us like, oh, can you believe it? And let me boast all the more. Can I tell you what an idiot I am? Let me just tell you how much I sin and how awesome Jesus is. But the longer we are around, sometimes we get that confused and think that somehow I'm a Christian, I should be better. And honestly, the only reason, the only difference between Christians and non-Christians is Christians are forgiven. That's it. We still fall short of the glory of God every single day. But God has completely made us perfect. Perfect. What's better than perfect? Nothing, right? Nothing is better than perfect. While you're being made holy, God assigns you perfection. You're not even near it. You're not even a scratch like Jesus. You know, here I'm doing class on forgiveness, and I wanted to, like, chew the lady out on the phone, call her a buffoon. I did say something funny, though. At the end, I said, I have something to say. It's like, I would like to just share you, this is your conscience before God. And I said, have a good day. Maybe that's how we got our hotel. I don't really know, but I just felt this, like, oh, my gosh. Like, what? But it really didn't come from a good hour. It wasn't like, please repent and be baptized. I was like, <laughs> indignant. I was mad. Um, but I don't know. Maybe, you know, now I really do hope that she could become Christian. At the moment, I wasn't feeling that. But uh, sometimes we have a hard time, right, accepting God's forgiveness and grace. And uh, why is that? I think this is the biggest reason. We don't forgive ourselves. We know God has forgiven us. But we beat ourselves up over and over and over again. We ruminate in our minds what I shoulda, coulda, woulda done differently, right? 
We are our, that pink song from years ago, we are our own worst enemies, is just true. We beat ourselves up. But where do you find that in the scriptures? Where does it say, really beat yourself up terribly, horribly? I mean, here she's caught in adultery. And the perfect one, he just says, go leave your life of sin. Just go repent. Just turn your life around. That's it. But God never says that, does he? Instead, Satan says, the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God day and night, if you hear, I shoulda, coulda, woulda, I'm beating myself up, what an idiot I am, whose voice is that? 100% Satan. I'm sorry, you cannot find a scripture that's going to tell you that was God's voice. Isn't that cool? I mean, I'll save you from reading the whole thing. It's just not in there. I love that. But it is a guaranteed voice of Satan. So what do we do with that? Do we say, oh, Satan, that's a really good idea. Let me think about how horrible I am. I mean, we do do that, but we, we ought not to do that to ourselves, right? You know, whose voice is filling you with guilt, self-loathing, and regret? It is Satan. And we need to get out of our heads and into the word because this is what's true. Not those lies that come into your head. Another reason is I believe we expect perfection out of ourselves. And it's not always that we're even trying to be perfect, but that it's so hard to accept that we're not. I don't know if you understand. Sometimes that is the hardest thing, is just to admit, I'm doing class on forgiveness, and I cannot forgive this woman. That is hard. That's humbling. (laughs) I would love to say, I'm this amazing story. No. But it's so hard to admit that we're just not perfect. But we study the Bible with our friends, and we say, Romans 3.23, all fit sin and fall short of the glory of God. But somehow we feel like we're supposed to somehow not be that anymore. I don't know. That actually was written to Christians in the book of Romans. This scripture um, in Galatians is one that has challenged this in me so much. It says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be attained through the law, in other words, through being perfect, then Christ died for nothing. So me expecting myself to be perfect is like saying Jesus died for nothing. Jesus, that was a waste. He didn't need to, I would never, we would never say that. We would never think that. But we can beat ourselves up so, so much. And I think, you know, I had a D time one time, this was several years ago, and we're like, it's amazing how we can want to beat ourselves up when, as if Jesus' beating wasn't enough, Aww. right? Let me just, oh, no, that wasn't enough. Let me beat up. It doesn't even make sense what we do to ourselves. And it prevents us from that freedom that comes from being forgiven. Another reason I think it's hard is our focus as ourselves, and it's not Jesus. That woman was exposed, and Jesus, in his mercy, is like, let me get the attention off of her, and even off of the Pharisees, and have it be back on me. And we know the scripture in 2 Corinthians 7, that godly versus worldly sorrow, this is the coolest thing. Godly sorrow leads to repentance, which leaves no regret. That means you could, like, have done the worst, most heinous thing ever, And God's desire for you is to feel no regret whatsoever. How cool is that? 
You know, I'm um, studying the Bible with somebody who's working on being restored. She fell away as a single woman, then ended up getting married and now has a child. And she, she does, it's a really challenging marriage situation. And she got married out of emotions and not because he was godly or any, and it's a really challenging situation. And I showed her this scripture. I was like, you got to remember. Yeah, you really blew it. You left God. You broke fellowship. That's truth. But the truth is also that God wants you to have that whole experience and somehow be able to look at it with no regret. To be able to look back and say, I really did blow it. For us to be able to say, I really do sin. I did this and I did this and I did that. But look at awesome Jesus. Look at him. How amazing my Savior is. But so much we make it about ourselves, right? I don't look perfect. I don't look good. Blah, blah, blah. And I do believe that that blocks us from sharing the message as well. Because I think we think we're supposed to be perfect when all we are actually is just forgiven. We're all on this planet together in dire need of a Savior. We've just been blessed to get to know him and have this redemption. But, you know, think about Peter. He went from being afraid of a peasant's girl to preaching Christ crucified in front of thousands, risking his life. That's a man of godly sorrow. Then you think about Judas. He did the same thing as Peter. Nobody names their kid Judas. But Peter did the same thing. All he did was betray him. Not all he did, but same sin. But Judas allowed his shame, his self-focus to overtake him. And it caused him to take desperate measures to eliminate the pain. He just hated how it made him feel. So an acceptance of God's grace, his forgiveness of your sins, prevents you from carrying the burden of guilt around with you. Our guilt has been nailed to the cross. It's dead, gone, forever. Amen. Amen. It's awesome. You know, we could so easily forget we are set free. In John 8, 36, it says, The Son of God sets you free. You will be free Indeed, He has set you free. You just, I mean, I'm saying the same thing, but we need to remember we have been set free. This is my oldest when she became a Christian. I don't have a picture of my baptism, I wish. So I live vicariously through this photo, which I cherish and I'll cry. Look at the joy. Knowing I was set free. I am not, I remember her greatest wrestle. She's 12, okay? Her greatest wrestle was accepting, I'm not perfect, and I can't do anything. And in a really, really, really good way, there's just nothing you can do but the fact that God loves you so fiercely. In a really good way, right? And just set free this joy, this night. I mean, I'm bawled like a baby. One of the most amazing nights in my mind that Jesus had was setting her free. She's one of the most fired-up teenagers. That's a whole other story. She just blows me away. But I think, you know, that's who we all, we all had that if we're a Christian. And just as you want to go back through your sin study and the cross, go back through those days leading up that shame, that exposure you felt. And then when you heard the gospel message, he did this even knowing, even while I was his enemy. And he has set me free. Somebody who got this grace is Paul, for sure. Study him out, you know. 
But I think about this. He had so many opportunities to encounter after he became a disciple. Imagine him sitting, visiting the churches, understanding, hearing their story. Oh, your husband was killed. Oh, by a man named who? Saul? That was me. Imagine. I mean, that's his real deal. This is all the same generation. He'd be visiting churches, and he would have heard all the time how he had killed people. That's a pretty bad, that's a pretty bad sin. I mean, you know, it's all, it's all the same, all fall short. But that's one of those ones that that's really hard to forgive, right? But Satan already had a victory with Saul's misplaced zeal, right? But imagine the victory Satan would have had if, he had allow, if Paul had allowed guilt and shame to suppress his love and gratitude. He would have completely avoided the ministry to which he was called, wouldn't he have? Does Satan have that foothold in your heart where you're stuck on a sin that you've committed, that you just are, are not letting God set you free of? It does prevent us from living the lives. I think of this scripture. I'm going to run out of time. Romans 7. Paul's like, what a wretched man I am. Who's going to save me? Jesus. Titus 3, but when the kindness and love of God appeared, he saved you, not because of the righteous things you've done, but because of his mercy. Galatians 4, you are no longer a slave, but a daughter. And since you are a daughter, God has also made you an heir. You get that riches that God wants to give us. You know, God has reconciled this in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting our sins against ourselves. He doesn't do that game that we might do to ourselves. He doesn't count your sin against you. And he's committed to you this ministry of reconciliation. And therefore, you're Christ's ambassadors. And I think this, he wants to turn your mess, I mean, sort of cheesy, but into his message. Right? Let me tell you what... I mean, Paul, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness. Why? So Christ, his power, is made in me, is evident in me. That is this man who was freed. He was freed from his past. You don't ever read a letter where he's like, I mean, he's like, man, I was the worst of sinners, but he doesn't, it doesn't hold him back. It always points back onto Jesus, doesn't it? It never stopped him. But when we stay focused on ourselves and guilt-ridden, we stay enslaved. And we think we're being so godly, beating ourselves up, but that's the voice of Satan. You need, we need to cling to God's word. Find those passages that are going to be your, this is what's true. Maybe it was some of these, maybe you'll find other ones too. And believe his words that you live forgiven. It's just true. And the second point is we need to live forgiving. But I don't know if we can do this without quite understanding the first one. God calls us to a forgiving life, but we can't follow Jesus without forgiving others. It's actually impossible. Sorry if you were trying to get around that one. Sometimes we kind of think we, I'm doing everything else. Just that one thing in my heart, not so good. But actually following Jesus is forgiving. They're almost synonyms. It's just who he was. It's what he lived for. It's what he died for. It's who we are as Christians, is we are forgiving people. Sometimes I think we can think that we can say, oh, I need to forgive. It can feel like a burden, right? You think the freedom of forgiveness, it feels like a burden. Are you kidding me? This is the hardest thing. Now, I'm not saying forgiveness is easy, but it is simple. 
And as I was studying this, I was like, I am so convicted. It's not an option. It's just not. And then I love the whole theme of the conference. It's now. So when are you supposed to forgive? Now. Now. That's amazing. How many times are you supposed to forgive? Like seven times 77, I don't know math, right? Always, for the rest of your life. God wants you to learn how to be forgiving. But he wants us to forgive because everybody is his child. Even the person who sinned against you, even in the most heinous way. Like some of us, I know that there's incredible pain that has happened to us. But to think, okay, God still knit that person in his mother's womb. That's really hard to wrap your mind around, but it's true. God loves that person just like he loves you. Is he aching and crying and hurting? Yes, but he loves and he gave his life for them too. And I think God wants us to forgive because it destroys us. It's like that little fox in the vineyard, just little by little by little by little, it eats us up. And it's interesting because I think that sometimes these real, the really big events that we feel like we need to forgive, we get in our Bibles and we're praying and we're crying out to God, right? But it's the little foxes, like the look that sister gave you or that, that decision that was made that didn't include you. It's like those little things, at least for myself, <laughs> I'm that petty, my VRBO, <laughs> that's the stuff that can just eat at my heart. And I'm not going into the scriptures, pouring into prayer. I'm just getting mad, just ruminating and and my rights and this, that, and the other, right? But he doesn't want that to destroy us. He knows that a lack of forgiveness enslaves us. He knows that bitterness enslaves you. So forgiveness, it's not a duty. It's our deepest, deepest need is to be forgiving people. So it's, it kind of switches the way we look at it, right? If I think, well, I need to forgive, I have to forgive, I should forgive, versus I need it to set my heart free. But what prevents us from forgiving? Look back in the very beginning of that first part of the story. The teachers and the Pharisees of the law, the religious people, their issue was, was it more about them being upholding God's word or was it more about the proving that they were right and it was the latter even Nicodemus steps in and is like but wait doesn't our law actually say this and they're like whatever Nicodemus I'm not I'm going to avoid that law but we're going to hold on to this one you know we can do that right well that's sin. that was really bad but this one you know not as big a deal we do this very same thing we have this hierarchy of hurt and pain and sin But what prevents us is that we become the standard in our minds and not God. Again, it's like, this is what's the standard. I'm not saying it's easy. But we, just like them, the Pharisees and teachers of the law, they were the standard. They had decided what was acceptable and what was not acceptable. And they decided the not acceptable sin was guilty of death. They were enraged. They were ticked off. They were ready to go, right? And I think I can be that same way. I think we can all be that same way. Even certain sins from certain types of people are inexcusable in our minds. I think there's a whole layer of our cultural, ethnic, racial backgrounds that can provide layers 
that's acceptable from one, not acceptable for, for another at four o'clock. There's a class in this room on race and racism. It's not being taught by me, but go to that. But there are real issues that affect our hearts, that enslave us, that, that prevent us from being free, right? And think about, and about Paul. Who was he? Have you ever studied the Bible with a murderer? I think I'd be running the other direction. But they loved him. He was a murderer, really, really bad. Lots of people. He's, his death, their deaths were he was responsible for. Even in Galatians, when they went, he went to visit the churches, it says they, rec- they gave him the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. That's in Galatians 2. And in Galatians 1, it says, all they'd ever heard of me was how I had murdered people and caused riots. So the Galatian church heard about this guy. That's all they knew about him. Talk about prejudging. Only thing they'd ever heard about this guy is he murdered and he was really, really bad. But I guess he became a Christian. And how do they welcome him? Right hand of fellowship. Why? Because of God's grace. Why did they do it? Because of Jesus. Did they do it because he proved himself not killing? They didn't know that yet. They deeply, deeply trusted God. Forgiving requires deep trust that God is the ultimate judge. And he will make every wrong in this world right in his time. He does nothing is nothing is uncovered. Nothing is not exposed before God. Everything is uncovered to him. You know, think about Peter. Every morning, I don't live in the country, but he heard a rooster crow. Cock-a-doodle-doo. Every morning. And what was it that what would that remind him of every morning when he'd hear that rooster crow? His failure. He really blew it. He betrayed the, the Son of God. But that, his own in-touchness, that's not even a word, but his own ability to understand his own sinfulness, how in the world did he welcome Paul into his life as a partner in the gospel when he very well could have murdered some of Peter's closest friends? Stephen? Right? I'm like, that's all I know. I look at the scriptures and I'm like, wow, Peter could forgive. He, could, he didn't just tolerate Paul. They were partners in the gospel. You know, we have experienced past hurts in the church, for sure, <laughs> right? But Peter, what would have happened if Peter let Paul's past dictate their present relationship? Right? What if he kept him in the doghouse? Oh, Paul, that murderer guy, you know, don't trust him. But we do that to people. And I have to fight against that. Oh, that sister's reputation. Oh, this. No, if we're renewed every day, we need to treat each other like we are renewed every day. We're Christians, right? That's what we need to do. And I just think how would that have affected the movement of God's spirit in the book of Acts if Peter had let bitterness or fear block him from partnering up with Paul? There would be no New Testament. You know, then this is kind of, think about Judas. Okay, he really blew it. But there's no mention of him in the book of Acts or any of the letters. Hey, do you guys remember Judas? Let's sit around and talk about him. Do you remember him? You can't trust anybody. You remember Judas? He did that. There's no mention of Judas. Because there's this clear line in their minds. We are forgiven and we're going to be forgiving people. They just didn't let their past hurts justify their fear or distrust of one another. 
or even lose their focus on Jesus's mission, which is incredible. Then ask yourself, do you trust God's grace or your own judgment with your, your brothers and sisters? Do you trust God's grace or your own judgment? What has Christ's love compelled you to do in this area of forgiveness? And what is God even calling you to do? I think even the sister in the other session was saying the spirit is going to be working in your heart over this weekend. And is there something stirring in your heart that you know that I need to let go of? You know, sometimes this is um, another thing that prevents us from forgiving. I read the book that Linda Brumley had written. It's, I can't remember the title, but it's on forgiveness. Pathway of, yes. Excellent book. Phenomenal book. But she put kind of this list together of what forgiveness, because what, I think sometimes it prevents us from forgiving, or we think I still haven't forgiven. And, you know, we're beating ourselves up. But a misunderstanding of forgiveness can prevent us from forgiving. Forgiveness is not condoning the wrong. It is not saying it was okay what you did. Jesus went to the cross fully aware of how terrible and destructive our sins are. Far from condoning our sin, the cross proves how destructive sin is. Forgiveness never excuses their behavior, but forgiveness keeps their behavior from destroying your heart. Forgiveness is not betraying the harmed. God still loves the betrayed way more than you ever could. Forgiveness is not necessarily restoring the relationship or harmony. Look in the book of Acts. They got persecuted. What did they do? They scattered. Did they ever come back? No. So forgiveness does not mean always this restoration of harmony. But did they forgive? I'm certain we can be confident of that. Um, we can only be responsible for ourselves, right? Forgiveness is not pretending it never happened. It's not this like, when you forgive, you in no way change the past, but you absolutely change the future when you forgive. Forgiveness doesn't make it even. Think about the cross. Was that fair? Did that make it even? And we all know, no, not at all. You know, if it were easy, Jesus wouldn't have had to suffer for forgiveness. So to think, oh, it's going to be an easy thing. It's simple, but it's not easy. But you will never, ever forgive in vain. Isn't that awesome? Never is it going to be like, well, I shouldn't have forgiven. God's always going to be like, yes, you did the right thing. Your heart's set free. Forgiveness is not an elimination of the hurt. I just think if Jesus were still, every time he'd remember the cross, he'd remember the pain. Just because you still feel the pain doesn't mean you haven't forgiven somebody. Forgiveness doesn't mean you forget. People throw around that scripture, God says he remembers our sins no more. It actually, this whole idea of remembering your sins no more, it's that they no longer hold, he no longer holds our sins against us. So forgiveness, it's not a memory loss, but it's a grudge loss. It's, a, I'm not going to hold on to this anymore. Forgiveness isn't naively believing it'll never happen. How many times? We already talked about this. Many times we need to forgive. And it's not about who's right or who's wrong. There's amazing, Abraham Lincoln said, Sir, my concern is not whether God's on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side. Because God is always right. And forgiveness is always right. Their guilt stays intact. One day, they need to face God. But it's our hearts that get freed when we forgive. We need to believe that God holds justice, justice securely in his hands. There is no wrong that has bypassed God's sight, understanding, pain, acknowledgement. 
But he knows in his wisdom that forgiveness, forgiving, is what's going to set you free. It's a sacred heavenly calling to become forgivers. And sometimes I think we think it's impossible. But remember, God never calls us to do something that with him is impossible. But how do we forgive? I am running out of time. This is my, okay, know your enemy. Who is he? Is it the person? Oh my gosh, no matter how bad it was, it is Satan. Satan is your enemy. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. I don't know any other way to live my Christian life than connected to the cross. I will never be good enough, and no one else will ever be good enough either. But the cross will always fill me. Forgiveness is a way of life for the Christian. It's not an option. And forgiveness is about your heart, not about your offender. And that is how we forgive. I'm going to um, read lyrics to this song. And uh, oh, I really want to play it. But uh, it's by Matthew West. And it's just beautiful. It says the hardest thing. To, it's, the, it's about forgiveness. It's the hardest thing to give away. And the last thing on your mind today. It always goes to those who don't deserve. It's the opposite of how you feel when the pain they cause is just too real. It takes everything you have to say the word, forgiveness. It flies in the face of all your pride. It moves away the mad inside. It's always anger's own worst enemy. Even when the jury and the judge say you've got a right to hold a judge, hold a grudge, it's the whisper in your ear saying, set it free. Show me how to love the unlovable. Show me how to reach the unreachable. Help me now to do the impossible to forgive. It's, it'll clear the bitterness away. It can even set a prisoner free. There is no end to what its power can do. So let it go and be amazed by what you see through eyes of grace. Because the prisoner that it really frees is you. Show me how to love the unlovable, the unreachable, the impossible. Show me how to see what your mercy sees. Help me now to forgive what you gave to me. Forgiveness. The time is now. It's a process, but you can be rest assured. God will never call you to something. He's not going to walk with you, hold your hand, guide you. It's a decision. I'm going to forgive. And in that direction, God is going to bring you the healing. And remember, you are forgiven. There's nothing God is holding against you if you are a Christian. You have been completely set free. He calls us to live forgiven and to live forgiving lives. Amen.